7 Investing Now, a show that teaches you how to take a long-term view on investing by better understanding what's happening in the market now. Thank you, Samantha Bailey. Good afternoon. Welcome to 7 Investing Now. My name, as you all know by now, is Daniel Brooks Klein, but my friends call me Dan. I'm joined today by Matt Cochran and Austin Lieberman. Matt, you're about, I don't know, 30 minutes south of me. What's the weather like in uh, the Fort Lauderdale area? It's uh, about eight, low 80 degrees and, and very humid out. And Austin, you're maybe, what, three and a half hours north? This is an all-Florida edition of 7 Investing Now. I think that's first. Austin, yeah, is it a little cooler like- up there? Uh, I think it's in the 70s. I think we should always do it this way, though. We don't need anyone from any other state on this show. <laughs> Let's just do Florida shows. We're like a month away from Steve being snowed in for like three months. He had a foot of snow last we talked. But guys, this show, we're going to focus on some of the big news coming out around IPOs. Remember, we take a long-term approach on investing. That doesn't mean we don't look at what's happening now. And there are some really exciting IPOs coming up. So that's going to be our top story. After that, we're going to talk a little bit about Disney and a little bit about Fastly. And then, of course, we're going to hit our finisher. But guys, there are four big IPOs coming up. One of them actually filed today. That'd be DoorDash. The other three are Airbnb, Wish... And, of course, Roblox, which uh, Matt is very experienced with. But, Austin, I'm going to throw it to you. We've all had our experiences with Airbnb. I'm going to say mine are pretty mixed. Uh, I've stayed some places that were better than expected. I stayed one place that everything was great, except the shower was like a coffin. I had to stand in it exactly like it. Uh, it was not great. But, guys, uh, just pointed out, uh, Rayal has pointed out, We should not be doing this on Friday the 13th. We don't get to choose what days we do this. We do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. Austin, why don't you give us the top line on Airbnb, and then I'll go to everybody for uh, their personal thoughts. Yeah, so fun fact, I've never stayed in an Airbnb, which is kind of crazy. Coming into 2020, Airbnb was prepared for a blockbuster IPO. It's probably one of the most expected, and people were most excited about their IPO. Uh, but the pandemic put a halt to travel and Airbnb was forced to cut 1,900 jobs, which is about 25% of its workforce. They also had to raise $2 billion in high interest debt and then slash their valuation. So they, I think they raised money at a lower valuation than um, some of their previous rounds to $26 billion, which is still a pretty hefty valuation. Um, so that was in April and May. And then in recent months, Airbnb has actually been able to reignite growth as travelers hit the road to seek out vacations home, vacations home, homes, and you know, start to get some travel back. And and I personally, Dan, I thought this was going to absolutely crush Airbnb because um, I didn't think travelers and I myself wasn't ready to trust random people on Airbnb to, you know, clean their places properly after other people. Um, came yeah, through with, it, you know the pandemic. So yeah, it, it's it's a tough call, and Airbnb put some standards in place. And I know I'm looking for either experienced hosts, and because I have stayed in an Airbnb, I stayed in in Key West, in a but it was managed by a vacation company. It wasn't like staying in somebody's like guest house or or their in law apartment. So I'm a little wary of Airbnb. I think the biggest problem with Airbnb as a business is. They're competing with hotels. It, they don't have a ton of price flexibility. And I understand the benefit of some people want a kitchen. Some people will crash on somebody else's couch, which that's appalling to me. But I've found that 
realistically, the quality of the listings does not always equal. It's kind of like your dating profile picture. You put up the best possible picture of you where sometimes that's not exactly what you look like. Matt, have you stayed in an Airbnb? I have not either. Uh, we, uh, we do VRBO at times, but never at an Airbnb. Very much the same process. And uh, uh, Kunal says, uh, can you really trust hotels to do the same? Yeah, hotels have done a, I've stayed in a bunch of hotels. And hotels are, are putting you know sealed things on the door. They're not coming in unless you request while you're staying there. Uh, they're using more throwaway items as opposed to they'd been moving to like, you know, the dispensers in the shower that, you know, that give you soap and shampoo. I do think Airbnb is going to be fine. I think it's it's just an area where I'm not overly looking to invest. Um, you know, feel free to throw your questions and your comments in. For me, I get it. It's disruptive. It's they don't carry a lot of cost, but I do think there there is a lot of demand risk involved. Uh, guys, we're going to move on to the next one, and that's Wish. Wish is an online retailer. It's kind of like an online dollar store. Like not everything's a dollar, but they sell a lot of junk. Uh, Matt, your thoughts here. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think that sounds like a crowded marketplace, like an online retailer that sells bargains, um, you'd be right. Uh, you know, and that's not to say there's not a lot of room for companies like this, but that also doesn't mean you necessarily have to invest in all of them either. Uh, last year, Wish was valued at $11.2 billion, and that's gained momentum. I mean, the pandemic, unlike Airbnb, the pandemic has has helped them. It's driven more uh, more more shoppers online. And it has 70 million active users uh, that look at its discounted goods in categories like home goods, apparel, and electronics. Personally, like my wife has made an account on Wish, but uh, we, you know, when I asked her about it, like uh, she said, like we we she has never made a purchase on Wish. Now, oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so I have. And every, like, so you might go to a dollar store, like, I don't know, you're somewhere, you need a hammer, but when you're done with it, you're just going to throw it away or abandon it. Maybe you're on vacation and you need something. Dollar stores can be good for that. I've purchased some things for Wish on that idea that they're sort of going to be disposable. And I found the quality to be awful. Uh, and Kanal says, have you all ever seen a Wish ad? Awful. Yeah. For some reason, all of the Wish ads I get in like my Facebook feed are like fairly explicit. Like I don't even know how else to put it. Like they're selling things that I would never buy and certainly don't want in my Facebook feed. That's one that that I get it. It's a good business. People like value. But I think there's a point where, where you get what you pay for. And w- Wish is one I would not touch. But the next one oh, we have so coming Dan, up. Hold on. So yeah, Dan, go ahead, you're telling me you're expecting disposable quality, but it didn't even live up to that that already low standard? Yes. Like, like, like it's one of those, like we've talked about this. I bought a whole bunch of ponchos to leave in the, in our Orlando house. Cause you know, it rains pretty much every day in Florida. And it's one of those cases where if you get a poncho and you know, you're going to throw it away, but if you put it over your head and it rips, well, that you didn't save any money by buying it for a quarter instead of a dollar. So I do think there's, you know, sort of wishes below what I would consider the quality and you don't really know what you're getting. Now, are they a well-run business? Yeah, they're not promising two-day delivery. Uh, you can bundle a bunch in an order and hit a minimum to get, a, I forget if it's free or low cost, but it, you know, parts of their business are good. I have not seen their merchandise be particularly good. And again, I went in with very, very low standards. Now, we don't have financials. Uh, DoorDash, the next one we're going to talk about, is the only company that's actually filed here. The other three, we're just sort of guessing where they are. 
But uh, Austin, DoorDash's food delivery, I use them all the time. I would say they do a pretty good job. It's very similar to Uber Eats or Grubhub. They're, they're two leading competitors uh, where you know you can track your delivery along the way. They also do some of the same underhanded things uh, where they put restaurants on the platform that haven't partnered with them. Uh, they charge pretty heavily to the restaurants. It's not inexpensive for consumers to use it. Uh, but that said, Austin Lieberman, your thoughts here. Yeah. So spoiler alert, I don't know that I'm going to invest in any of these companies ever. Uh, if I invest in any, it might be Roblox and, and that just depends on valuation and stuff. But um, out of the four, you know, this is probably, I think that my second favorite business next to um, Roblox or Roblox or uh, Matt, however you, however you say it. Uh, but you know, this stat is actually pretty interesting to me. So according um, to data from the analytics firm, second measure, the company actually earned 49% of us meal delivery sales in September, which is more than double Uber eats, which captured 22%. And then this is what has me a little bit interested in this business. Again, I probably will not invest in it, especially with all the excitement around IPO. Uh, but they reported 1.9 billion in revenue for the nine months that ended September 30th, and a net loss of 149 million. That's really impressive compared to some other businesses that are that are you know at, at this scale and and coming public. Um, and then even more impressive is that's up from 587 million in revenue uh, during the same period in 2019, with a net loss of 533 million. So net loss is down to only 149 million from 533 million. They're growing fast. That's that's actually pretty impressive scale right there. So Austin, they're growing, but don't you think we're kind of at peak food delivery right now? Like in a post-pandemic world, like I, I, I get food delivered two to three times a week. In a post-pandemic world, it would probably be once. I feel like that's probably true for a lot of people. Your thoughts? Yep, totally, totally agree with you, Dan. And this is this is what has me like very cautious on these companies. Uh, you know, we had been getting some groceries delivered, and then just last week, my wife and I talked about it. And we were like you know, why pay 14 bucks, um, just to have our groceries delivered when we can go a lot of grocery stores now are doing like quick pickup and restaurants are doing curbside pickup and stuff. I think that is more likely to, to stay and, and stay at the levels it is, you know, curbside pickup while de- food delivery, uh, trends back down. Yeah. And it's one of those things where any talk about profitability for DoorDash always involves, and this is the same thing with, with Uber eats is, well, we're also going to pick up uh, your dry cleaning. We're also going to pick up your groceries. And that, to me, I don't really trust them to do a great job delivering me food. It's hit or miss whether you actually get what you ordered, uh, their ability to sort of rectify that. It's like they'll give you a refund. But if you ordered, you know, Matt, if you ordered meals for you, your wife, and and each of your four kids, and two of the kids' meals don't come, that's not going to be a happy dinner. That is going to be an uncomfortable evening that involves you getting in the car and going out to pick up food. That's not going to go well. I don't like this business. I don't think it's investable. Um, It's probably the best of a bad category. Uh, You know, uh, one of our, one of our users saying uh, food delivery is a race to the bottom. Uh, Zach F says, how scalable is DoorDash? Feels like competitive advantages are local and constrained to single geographies. Well, from a marketing point of view, you can advertise nationally. They've done a great job capturing capturing share, but I don't know that the market can get that much bigger. And I'm not sure there's that many people who are looking to have like other things picked up by their DoorDash person. I I think that's going to be very limited incremental. But Matt, this is what you want to talk about. I'd never heard of Roblox. Uh, Maybe I'd heard of it casually. Didn't really know what it was before we did this. Why don't you give us the 10,000 foot overview? 
Yeah, so it's a it's an online game platform for kids. Uh, not kind of in the style of Minecraft, I guess, but it's really like you enter this world, and uh, well, you enter the platform, and you can pick from literally a million games, and that's because it has two million developers on it. It's more a platform for developers. Any user can make their own game on this platform, and so there's just so many creative games that it offers. And it's very popular with children between the ages of seven and fourteen, with both boys and girls, which is something like like worlds like Fortnite and, and other games like that. They're very popular with boys, not as popular with girls. So this that's another thing Roblox has going with it. And as a huge, it's almost more of a social network element than than to call it like a a, a video game platform. Um, I've actually paid out allowance money to my kids. <laughs> In Robux, which is its form of currency on the platform. And, you know, you can buy things like it doesn't affect gameplay, but you can buy like new outfits for your characters or your avatars and new hairstyles and, th- and things like that. I draw the line at paying money for new outfits for characters in, ga- in games my son are playing. But Matt, is this a safe environment for kids? Because one of the issues I've had with Fortnite is it, my son's 16 now, so there's probably no words he hasn't heard. But when he was like 12 or 13 playing those games or even playing like Star Wars Battlefront, some of the language was very salty or or racist or insulting or misogynist. Is, is Roblox protecting that so, type? As a parent... I, I- you're you're always going to be concerned about that because you're entering these online environments and, and no matter what the platform is uh like I, I always have those concerns uh one thing i'll say they're they're as good as any platform out there about policing that content now i, I want to say business week had a, a a long article a few weeks ago about like uh some games that like had risque elements to it uh and, and that's the problem you know and all these platforms uh have when you're talking about like a million games, it's so hard to police environments like that. That being said, they're they're known for having like some of the best controls out there. So, uh, you know, I don't think we're we're getting this genie back in the bottle. I think these kind of platforms are here to stay, and Roblox does as probably better than anyone else does uh, policing these environments. So Matt, this is a company valued at about four billion dollars. They're hoping they're hoping to double that at IP, at IPO. Microsoft bought Minecraft. Is this an acquisition target? I feel like Nintendo should just right now step in and buy this company. Would that make sense? Uh, if you were a Nintendo shareholder, I'm sure you would love that. Uh, <laughs> like uh, it, it could be. It, it definitely could be, especially with Microsoft taking an interest in gaming. Uh, you know w- what I would say though is like many of the the companies you would say like are are the usual suspects that might be interested in this kind of acquisition. They're already under the scrutiny for antitrust concerns now. Uh, you know, Facebook, like I, I don't think government would be uh, likely to approve an acquisition like this uh, for Facebook. Same for Alphabet. Microsoft, you know, I think might be the most likely uh, purchaser, but yeah, that, that, it's a great platform. That's why I threw out Nintendo. It's a family-friendly-ish platform. It would make a lot of sense. Uh, wouldn't shock me to see Comcast buy them as well, You know, looking for content that can move into the theme park world, into other platforms. They're not for sale necessarily, but when you see these companies in these 4 to $8 billion range, they could easily pick it up. Uh, I, I Apple- think for, for, for an acquisition, I think it would have to be a home run offer for them to take it. So I would think it would be – I would. For, an, for them to take an acquisition, I think it would have to be over $10 billion. 
Yeah, and it's hard to pay $10 billion for a company that's uh, on track to do about $1.2 billion in revenue exactly. per year. Not profit, <laughs> revenue. Yeah. Uh, Kunal, Kunal Navani suggests Apple could with the money, but doubt it would pass. Uh, before we move on to what we're watching, let me throw out another couple of comments. Uh, Joshua Briss says, I tried Uber Eats for the first time two weeks ago. They never fulfilled my order and didn't contact us for four hours. This can't ever happen. Also, my pregnant wife was very hungry and very unhappy. This is a problem across all food delivery. I've had similar experiences with every single one. Maybe I'm in a hotel room and they're they're having trouble finding me. Maybe uh, the, you know the, the the restaurant canceled the order. There needs to be more active customer service. The problem is customer service is expensive. Rayal says Apple should have bought Peloton. I actually feel like Apple should still buy Peloton uh, or or buy Echelon or buy one of the other top tier providers. Doesn't look like it's going to happen, but I think it would be a good idea. Idea. But guys, it's time to move to what we're watching. What we're watching is where each of you pick something you want to talk about, uh, and you have free reign. You can pick pretty much whatever you want. They're usually investing topics, uh, but they don't have to be. But uh, Matt, you wanted to talk about something near and dear to my heart. I'm actually headed up tomorrow. I'm going to be staying in Orlando tonight, and I'm going to Epcot tomorrow. Uh, and Disney reported its earnings. I thought they were a home run. Matt, what about your thoughts? Yeah, I think the big picture takeaway for me, Dan, was that, you know, this has been a tough year for Disney, but not only has it managed through the crisis relatively effectively, it's also managed to invest heavily in its future. Yeah, so the the big thing, and Matt, I'll let you read the numbers, Disney Plus numbers, I, I just wrote something on this uh, it, that hasn't published yet, but Disney Plus numbers are something like three times their 2023 pro- projections. Matt, why don't you take us through their digital numbers? Yeah, well, so Disney Plus ended up with 73 million subscribers, which was like it's five, uh, it's, you know, that's within its five-year target for Disney Plus. And the best thing about that, Dan, uh, for Disney shareholders is like uh, this week, it hasn't even launched in some major markets yet. Like this week, it's launching in Latin America, including markets like Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. So it still has a long way to go as far as just launching in markets. So th- this subscriber number is only going to grow. Yeah, so they're over. When you add in ESPN Plus, which year to date added uh, went from three point five million to ten point three, or all of Hulu. That's Hulu Live plus the uh, the cheaper Hulu. They went from twenty eight point five million to thirty six point six million. Uh, they're over one hundred and twenty million paid subscribers. That's two thirds of Netflix. Matt, tell me if I'm wrong, but really, streaming Netflix is a default. Disney is a default. Prime is successful because you're going to buy it for other reasons. HBO is still successful because it has a, it's basically still cable subscribers or people who keep it when they leave cable. And, and then it's everybody else. Like Disney has, has basically made itself the number two player and they're a tier above everybody else. Is that a, a reasonable statement? Yeah, it is. And we haven't even talked about ESPN Plus yet, Dan. I mean, you know, like sports is is facing pressure from cord cutting. And I think Disney is positioning ESPN Plus well to uh, handle that transition uh, for like more sports to be viewed online. ESPN Plus numbers are now, they have now more than 10 million subscribers. That's up almost 200% uh, from the year ago quarter. Yeah, and ESPN Plus is largely... uh UFC and a hodgepodge of crap. Like it's not ESPN. And their big move is at some point 
cable numbers are going to go below where Disney then has the right to bring ESPN or can negotiate the right to bring ESPN out as a standalone platform. That is, uh, that's something I think we're going to see. These are huge numbers, but Matt, not everything else was great uh, for Disney. It was one of those scenarios where obviously they've offset the movie theater business being essentially non-existent by doing two things. They took a couple of movies and they moved them to Disney+. Plus. That's what they did with Mulan. We don't have those numbers, but it was likely a driver. That's what they did with Hamilton in July. We know that was a major driver. And they're not spending money to market movies. So that offset quite a bit of that division. But theme parks aren't great. I mentioned that I'm going to, to Epcot, which is, Epcot's still at 25% capacity. Magic Kingdoms, uh, and I think the rest of the Disney parks in Florida are moving to 35% capacity in the next couple of days. But that's not great. What's the, what's the status of their theme park business? Well, uh, they've successfully, successfully reopened their parks in Orlando, Shanghai, Tokyo, and Hong Kong. Paris was reopened, but is now shut down again. And on the call, uh, CEO Bob Chapek really took exception to the state of California, saying, this is a quote, unfortunately, we are extremely disappointed that the state of California continues to keep Disneyland closed despite our proven track record. They talked about all the safety measures they've been taking and how it's just like uh, exceeded like industry standards and that California still won't let them reopen. Uh, Dan, what do you what do you think about that? You've already been on some, like you mentioned, you're already you're going to some properties. I know you've already been on some Disney properties in Orlando. Yeah, I I I, your I, I was in Epcot with our, our mutual friend Matt Frankel and his family, and I was at Hollywood Studios with my son. Uh, really, towards the beginning. Disney is doing a better job than grocery stores. They're enforcing mask wearing. They're enforcing distancing. Something like uh, you know, ordering at a kiosk. I ordered at the uh, the, the the milk kiosk in in Star Wars Land. And you have to do that on your phone. So you cannot walk up and order. Almost every place is contactless. The only place you can even get out a credit card are some of the like stands where you can just get a soda. Restaurants, you place your order uh, in advance and then you tell them when you're there. And then when it's ready, you get brought to a table and they bring you your food or you pick up your food. The fancier restaurants, you know, you tell them, hey, I'm there. They sit you down. The menus are QR codes. They're doing it as well as anybody could possibly do it and i agree they they should be opening in california uh, zach epps says does it make sense for disney to separate disney plus from the other assets theme parks and cruises etc it doesn't because the thing about disney is all its intellectual property ties together you're going to have a movie become a theme park ride become an attraction on the cruise ship the other thing that's important to remember and, and we all know i talk about cruise ships a lot is the disney cruise line is four ships it is an irrelevant part of the company they are going to be the last cruise line to operate and given where we are with the vaccine they're not even going to try to do any of the new cdc protocols to operate in a pre-vaccine world they're basically going to wait until it's safe because it just isn't worth the hassle and the expense whereas the actual like dedicated cruise lines they need to have some revenue matt any last words before we turn it over to austin who's going to talk about fastly well yeah just real quick on their parks it's important to note Walt Disney World, Shanghai Disney, and Hong Kong Disneyland, they all achieved a net positive contribution in the quarter, which means those parks generated revenue that exceeded the variable cost associated with reopening, which is pretty impressive given that they're restricted on their attendance and that they're they're doing all these measures to provide a safe environment. So they're still opening. A, most of these parks are opening and contributing to the bottom line still. 
I'll be doing my part Saturday at Epcot where uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to drink the world. I have to drive home, but there will be an adult <laughs> beverage or two consumed, uh, probably in France, which is my favorite uh, drink kiosk in the park. And uh, I've already promised my son wants to have lunch in China, which really wouldn't be my choice uh, during its the holiday festival. There's all sorts of special food, but I'm going to let him have that one. Austin. Before we talk about Fastly and the Altitude Conference and the announcements they made, why don't you give a little bit of overview of sort of what Fastly is and kind of what's been happening with the company this year? Yeah, sure, Dan. Uh, so quick note, I got I to gotta stop hanging out with you because every time I talk to you or I'm around you, you make me want to go to Disney and, and <laughs> we've got two kids. So that becomes a pretty big expense. But I guess now now's the time to go, though, with uh, cost wise. Um, so, yeah, real quick, uh, if you're familiar with us and you follow me, you're familiar with Fastly. But in case you're not, uh, basically, Online content consumption continues to grow globally and organizations have to keep up with their rising customer expectations. And what Fastly does is they help their customers by powering fast, secure, and scalable digital experiences. Uh, And they've developed a platform that handles hundreds of billions of internet requests a day. And Fastly's customers use that platform to deliver uh, basically customized apps, secure apps, and good experiences to their customers. if you hear a kid crying in the background, they're being taken care of. It's just uh, <laughs> level two chaos here right now. So I apologize. And, and he means taken care of in the positive way by a caregiver, yes. not <laughs> like not yeah, taken they, care they, of. There is a parent with them. <laughs> and, and I'm not just leaving them. Thanks, Dan, for uh, so protecting l- l- me. Let's talk a little bit about stock price on Fastly before we get there. Way up for the year, but they've also had some big drops, which is typical of this type of company. Yep. Um, Investing in these types of companies, we have to be ready for that type of volatility. When it was at the high of the year, it was probably overpriced, at least temporarily. And now when it's sold off 40 or 50%, it's probably a little bit underpriced. And that reaction was a little bit too strong. Over, And we're talking short term. Over the long term, if we're invested in these businesses, we have to believe that the market opportunity is a lot larger and the company can grow a lot larger, which I'm a shareholder and I believe it will. So I'm just ignoring these in-between share prices. If it gets back up to the all-time high, I'm going to expect it to drop again temporarily. And if it now we're down towards the lows, I expect it to go up. You, you just have to live with it. So they held their Altitude Conference, which is kind of their hype event, uh, You know, similar to like what Apple might do, what Microsoft might do with developers conferences. What announcements did they make and how excited are you? Yeah, so a few. And, and really what I just wanted to see was that they're continuing to innovate. They're ignoring some of this narrative out, out there that you know their business is, is all of a sudden failing or something like that. Um, and that they're just continuing to serve their customers and come up with new products. And so uh, you know, a couple of quick points. Um, Joshua Bixby at the opening shared a story about Doximity, which is a medical network, and just commented how they've seen insane increase in traffic due to COVID and Doximity turned to Signal Sciences, which is a company that Fastly just acquired to ensure that their platform stayed secure. Those types of stories are going to happen more and more. And this acquisition that Fastly made of Signal Sciences is going to help a lot with security. They shared their product vision and they they gave some updates on two things that have already been out there, which are compute at edge and secure at edge. So I'm going to kind of ignore those. Those are still going basically as planned. But they expanded on their product vision with sort of two newer areas, perform at edge and observe at edge, which we don't have time to go into exactly what those are. The point is they're expanding their roadmap, they're expanding their products, and they're going to start offering 
more capabilities and services, which is going to make it more likely for customers to sign up and more likely for current customers to be able to spend more money. And then finally, what was just really amazing to me, they shared some details on their network and how they're expanding and upgrading their network. And so basically, um, their their racks, their network racks are becoming more concentrated and more powerful. So through their expansion plan and their upgrades, they went from 1.6 terabits per second to 16 terabytes per second uh, in a year, which is a basically a 10x upgrade. Um, and and those same racks take up half the space for basically 10 times better performance than what what the previous ones did a year ago. So basically 10 times better performance in half the space. Uh, and, and that's how their network is evolving. That's going to let them continue to, you know, lead and, and give um, high performing, you know, faster speeds, more secure um, and, and appeal to more customers. And then they just shared a roadmap of where their points of presence, that's kind of their network, uh, where that's expanding to. And, and they're expanding internationally, um, they've, they've got new ones in Germany. They've got some in India, some in the Philippines. So things are going as normal. I'm excited about these updates and uh, I'm, I don't see any reason to, I'm not bearish on the company. I'm, I'm holding my shares. So, so Austin, before I throw out uh, the questions, uh, a couple of different questions we have, let's talk a little bit about 7investing. This is of course 7investing now. We do this on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with different members of our team. There's now seven of us. So each person will get on at least once a week, uh, but we do of course sometimes do three people on the show or bring someone on for just a segment. So the, you know, this is the 7investing team. We're going to rotate everybody in and out. But this isn't our only product. Our core product is the seven stock picks we make each month. Each one of us picks our highest conviction stock. And to subscribe, you pay $17 a month or $170 a year. Uh, I'm not great at math, but I think that's two months free. And Matt, why don't you tell the audience, uh, the seven investing audience out there that's just watching the show, what else they get for that, that really low cost of $17 a month or $170 a year? Well, we try to put out like new content every week. So like you said, like our, our monthly recommendations come out the first week uh, of the month. But then after that, like all through the month, we're releasing new content. So the, the second week you see our, 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 our video pitches that we pitched to the team, the rest of the team, like our recommendations for that prior month and all the questions we had a field and all the concerns uh, that the other members brought up, uh, which is always like that's actually like what I think is might be the best value to subscribers, to our members. Yeah, and let, let, me ex let me explain a little bit. Like we literally each do like a 15 to 20 minute pitch of this is the stock I'm going to pick and this is why I'm going to pick it. And, and everybody asks questions, they push back. So you get to see our process and you don't just hear the bull case. You also hear, hear the bare questions. Matt. And then after that, we all write uh, in the middle of the month, we release a, a, our, our column on, of our own, like a, of a topic of our own choosing, uh, just whatever we're thinking about, like going on in the market or, or what we see that we think is interesting. And then the, uh, the, the final week of the month, we release like company updates on prior recommendations. So all throughout the month, we're releasing new content to our members. 
We also do a monthly call with new members where they can ask us about the service. And of course, we do a monthly call with existing members where they can really ask us anything they want. I'm really excited about it. But Austin, let's get back to Fastly here. Uh, so one of the reasons the stock has been volatile is they provide services for TikTok. Uh, and TikTok has obviously been in the news. Joey Klein, a friend of the program, asked, whatever happened with TikTok getting banned? Wasn't that a big part of Fastly's sell-off? Austin, your thoughts here. Yeah, you know, uh, it's really impossible to know exactly why a stock sells off, but it's pretty clear that the TikTok controversy had something to do it do with it. Uh, I have had this feeling all along. I'm if TikTok stays as a customer, great. If TikTok leaves as a customer due to you know the political or government regulation or conflicts, it doesn't concern me one bit. It's it's twelve mil- million dollars in revenue. Uh, I think over the last nine months or last year, that's a lot right now. But when we think about what Fastly might look like in five or 10 years, that's going to be nothing. And they've also got the ability to open up some more network space for uh, some more capacity for other customers to make up for that. So if TikTok were to leave because Fastly wasn't meeting their needs or they had a a better opportunity, better performance and chose to go with somebody else, that would raise a yellow flag and I would watch for more customers to do that. But if it's government related, politics related, I I could care less. Uh, A good a similar story is Uber, um, a Twilio losing Uber's revenue. And that was actually because Uber was going to build it themselves and didn't really need Twilio anymore. The stock got crushed in like 2017. And, and now it's, I don't know, 5X, 5X the price it was in 2017. I could see Fastly following. There's no guarantees. I could see it following a, a similar trajectory though. Austin, got a couple of questions here from Rayal. I'm going to answer one of them. Then I'm going to ask you to answer one. Then we'll move to our finisher. Uh, He wants to know, how do you get 7investing merchandise? Uh, We don't actually sell any 7investing merchandise. The mugs you see Matt and Austin have, uh, when I joined the team, I printed mugs for the team. We've sent some out to people. We don't have any more at the moment. Uh, The shirt I'm wearing, I made at some point. I mean, I didn't make it. I ordered it and and got a bunch of them. At some point, maybe we'll put up a merchandise store going to charity uh, or something like that. The problem is shipping one-offs for merchandise is very, very expensive. Uh, The shipping to send out one mug was way more than the price of the mug. So it's something we may ultimately do, but we want to be really careful with making sure we have one product. There's no upsell. There's no higher end service we're going to sell you. So if we ever sell any merchandise, it would be for charity or for some other, uh, but we really appreciate the fandom. But Rail wants a prediction. Is Fastly still around 10 years from now, or do they get acquired? I would tend to lean toward acquired. Austin, your thoughts? Um, I, I hope they're around, so I'm going to go with they'll, they'll still be around. Guys, it is time to close the show and hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, behind the glass, our, our marketing director, our producer, if you would share it. Which social media site will grow the most over the next year? This was a Twitter poll that 1,200 of you voted in. Uh, More than half of you said Pinterest. 12% said Twitter. 30.9, about 31% said TikTok. And 4.5% said Reddit. Uh, And Matt asked me the question, is that growth users or revenue? I kind of had it in my head as users, but I didn't really ask the question. I actually think the answer is going to be Twitter. Twitter's a really broken platform, but it's also really useful. Um, I know people love Pinterest. I just feel like it's a very, very niche product. Matt, your thoughts, and then Austin, you can go after. I think the safe pick is is Pinterest there. I, I, I don't think you... Uh... I doubt you go wrong investing in Pinterest over the next year. Uh, That being said, there's so many geopolitical concerns about TikTok, 
But if those concerns prove to be unfounded or if those if things go TikTok's way, that's a powerful, powerful platform. And they could see they could certainly see more explosive growth in the years ahead. Follow Matt on TikTok where him and his kids do synchronized dance routines. He also <laughs> shares his re- no, Matt is not on TikTok as far as I know. Austin Lieberman, you know. your thoughts here. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, percentage of users, if we're talking percent, not raw numbers, I, I would think uh, Pinterest probably grows the most. And out of those companies, I'm, I would be most, I don't own Pinterest, but I'm most interested in it as an investment. I, I really like the things, how easy they're making it. If you go into the app, they make it so easy to see something, click on it and buy it. And it's just a really interesting dynamic. They also have a, a strong uh, female demographic, which is something that a lot of other e-commerce and social media platforms have have struggled with and i think that's going to be a major advantage for the platform so it's it's a really interesting investment to me i don't know if anybody from reddit is watching uh, or will see one of the replays but maybe update your site from like the 1985 message board look like like i feel like you could make it a little cleaner a little nicer basically they're in craigslist territory our own steve simington says really though pinterest is on fire Zach F says, really great show. Thanks for answering my questions. Really appreciate it. This is an interactive show. We are glad you're here, especially on a Friday. Rayal says, I planned a whole Halloween party with Pinterest. It's an essential. Be careful with your parties. I've said this before. Uh, we still have a pandemic. But guys, that's it. That finishes up this week's, this today's show and this week's episodes of seven investing now if you have questions for us there are a couple of ways to get in touch the easiest one is info at seveninvesting.com send us an email someone on the team will make sure the right person gets it and will answer you now we can't give specific investing advice uh, but we do try to answer your questions and of course if you're a member you get to go to those private calls with us where there might be you know uh, it's it's not the wide audience we're getting for seven investing now. It is an exclusive number of people. So that is a great idea. You can also follow us at seven investing on Twitter. That's at the number seven investing on Twitter. And all of us look at the Twitter account. We share things around. We love when one of our members shares their referral code. If you share your referral code, not only do, does the person joining get a deal, but the person who shared the code gets a free month. And here's what we want. We want all our members to get free years because that means that they've driven 12 new memberships. But guys, that's it. Thank you. Everyone watching, thank you. Enjoy the weekend. See you later. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.